Welcome to A Walk In My Stilettos, where our goal is to help you walk in your greatness. I'm your host, Makini Smith. The purpose of this show is to inspire you to walk in your greatness. We have conversations with amazing women that are letting us take a walk in their stilettos so that we can continue to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what inspires me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is going to share with us her story. Please welcome to the show, Shani Curry St. Bill. She's a mother, a wife, a personal finance expert on CBS Miami 4, a contributing writer to Black Enterprise, an author of 10 Things Every Woman Should Keep in Her Purse, sharing her passion to ensure that women everywhere focus less on how much their bags cost and more on the wealth inside of them. Please welcome to the show, Shani. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and to share your gems with us. Yes. So I, I like to start the show with an icebreaker because I feel that, you know, as women, we have all these titles that we go by, but there's a title that is not given enough credit, which is our name. And we are called this every day. So my first question to you is, do you know what your name means? I do. My name means wonder. Wonderful. Mm. So it actually means wonderful, wonderful. So it's like, and then my last name is St. Bill. It depends on, it really depends on which name you want to go by because I'm hyphenated. So there's, there's, if you go by Shawnee, then mm-hmm. the base of that is wonderful. Um, and then my last name, which I got from my grandfather is curry, which means spicy. So it can be wonderful spice. Mm. Or I can go for the <laughs> hyphenated one, so it's wonderful, spicy, faint. I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm feeling, it. feeling it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> See, when it. I ask I'm women the, the meaning of their name and to describe it, it actually describes their personality. <laughs> yes, it does. Love I it. agree. I totally agree. I love it. I love it. So, Shawnee, what did you want to be when you were a little, little girl? Um, let's see what I wanted to be. I wanted to be like Oprah Winfrey. I wanted to be like Oprah Winfrey, partly because I sat in my parents' uh, hair salon every day. And as I sat there, um, I'd get very bored. I was the only child for about 10 years. And then my sister and my brother came along. Um, and, but before that, I had spent such an, uh, uh, an immense amount of time inside of the hair salon where my grandmother and my mother was doing hair. So when I wasn't working with, when I wasn't talking, when I wasn't talking to the client, I was watching Oprah Winfrey. Mm-hmm. And Oprah Winfrey was the first woman that I'd seen who moved from news reporter to this woman who has the opportunity to just speak to other people and have these deep, um, conversations with them about all these possibilities. And I just always thought Oprah Winfrey was so beautiful, so professional. And I just, I just resonated with her ever since I was a little girl watching her on TV. So I always wanted to be like Oprah Winfrey. And I took I it seriously. It. 
I take it seriously. It didn't take me long to understand that if you want to be a thing, you have to mimic a thing. If you want to be a thing, you have to mimic a thing. It didn't take me long to figure that out. So, right, you know, this burst inside of me, maybe I'm like maybe 8, 10, 12, 11 years old, whatever the case may be. But immediately, I already knew that practice was such an immense part of manifesting or an immense part of getting to where it is that you want to be. Or if some people don't like the word manifesting, it's an immense part of goal setting, mimicking, preparation, and practice. So because I want to be like, because I want to be like over with okay, the first thing I have to figure out is how am I going to, you know, talk to these people? Or she has all these people to talk to. I don't have anybody to talk to. So I, I go down to my church and I say, I like to be, uh, I like to be the announcer. I'd like to be the announcer. So they put me on as the announcer. So when it came up for the church announcements, you'd hear my voice in the crowd would go, wow. <laughs> and I loved it, right? I loved it. I loved it. I love the transfer of energy. I love the way that I make people smile. And I love the way that they make me smile back. I love that at a young age, inspiring and being inspired right back by knowing that, hey, I can shift people's energy, make them feel better, and they make me feel better. Let's figure out how we can do this more frequently. I and love I it. I love it. I love it. So, <laughs> What, what inspired you to become a personal finance expert? Okay, so because I had already at a very young age decided that I wanted to be like Oprah Winfrey, right? I had already decided it. I took it very seriously. I majored in journalism because I knew that Oprah majored in journalism. So I needed to major in journalism <laughs> if I was ever going to have this big crowd of people to speak to. So I did that. I knew that writing was a large part of communicating because that is also another way to inspire um, mm -hmm. and to um, share information. Um, so I spent, uh, I mean, from high school, like I was the editor of my school's newspaper. Um, I was on a ra I was doing a radio show by the time I was maybe about 17. Um, I launched a magazine called Teen Time Today. So I did a whole lot of practice in terms of being able to communicate um, through all different types of media. If it had anything to do with media, I would pick it up. And I'm the same way now, right? I'm the same way now. Let's say if I go through a stagnant part in my life or I feel kind of stuck or I feel like I just get myself into things that's going to allow me to flex that muscle and things happen. Things happen. Mm -hmm. I still do the same thing that I did as a little girl. Like, okay, well, you say you want to be like Oprah, well, you better try to get yourself on TV. I was, um, there was a station here, a local station, and they had this, um, so it, I mean, I'm in Miami. It's a pretty big market. Um, the pretty big market. But when I was maybe about, I want to say I had to be like 16 years old. And there was this show, it was called um, By Kids for Kids. It was this new show. And I was, the only woman on the show, only, like, only girl on the show. Like, it, it was just, you know, so I, what I learned at a very young age is that if you want to be a thing, you need to flex your muscle in that thing. It doesn't matter where you are in the pecking order. You need to get in the space so that you can practice and perfect this thing that you're saying you want to do. And I use mm. that now, even as an adult. If I get to a stagnated place, let's say if my customer base slows down, let's say if, you know, something that I want is just, it's kind of stifled, it's not happening, I don't care, I'll do it for free, I'll do it for pay, I'll do it for whatever, because I know I'm good at it, and I know that the more that I do it, the better it's going to get, and then people are going to know that this person is good at that, and then clients will come. Mm, practice makes perfect. 
So yeah, practice doesn't always necessarily make perfect, but in a way it does. I used to take that statement apart. Practice makes perfect. I took it apart for maybe about five years of my life. I didn't, when people would say it to me, would always create like a little bit of a rigidity inside of me because I didn't know like if I fully agree with it. Because for a period Mm -hmm. of time, a very short period of time, maybe about five years, when people said practice makes perfect, I would always follow up by saying, yeah, depends on what it is that you're practicing, right? So you're going to, you're going to like, let's say you're practicing something poor, you know, you're doing something to your body that doesn't work well, let's say, because your diet is a practice. You understand right. what I'm saying? Right. Uh, you know, every everything is a practice. Everything that you do, you're practicing it and you're doing that same act over and over again. So whether it's good or whether it's bad, you're practicing it. So it doesn't mean necessarily perfection. But now, five years later, as I have been and I've grown a little bit better with myself and I come to understand, practice does make perfect. But even if the results of what it is that you wanted are not perfect, but it will help you to perfect yourself if you stay in it long enough. So practice does make perfect. Yeah. I mean, one, one example I can think of is like Tiger Woods. I mean, he's always been known as one of the greatest golfers, but he's always tried to perfect where he, you know, where he's going. He's always tried Mm -hmm. to improve and make Mm -hmm. himself better. Total, totally off topic, but uh, you were able to pay off your mortgage before the age of 40. Yeah. So can you share yes. how you were able to do that? Okay, so the first part of paying off of my mortgage before, I, I don't think I answered your last question. Hold on, I'm going to answer that one to answer your last question. Is that okay? Yeah. Yes, that's okay. Okay, yep. so you were asking me how is it that I got into personal finance in the first place. So anyway, it was always that me practicing in the space of wanting to be a communicator and wanting to be able to inspire people through my communication. So when I finished up my journalism degree at Florida Atlantic University here in Miami, I I didn't really see that if I was on the news, I didn't really necessarily see that I was going to be sharing information, right? I wasn't going to be sharing information as a news reporter, but I wasn't going to be sharing the kind of content that most resonated with me. I wasn't going to be doing that. I was more so going to be, um, I was going to be sharing information, but it would be information about crime or information about weather or information about this particular neighborhood or, you know, that's what I will be sharing information about. So I went through a very interesting part of my life where I didn't, I knew that I had to, so, so like, even though I knew that was a pivot point for Oprah Winfrey, where she was a news reporter at first, and then eventually she landed this space on, you know, um, talk show news and now, which introduced, you know, this kind of magazine talk show that she had the opportunity to be a part of. So I knew that was her pivot. I knew that she went from news reporter to that. So I saw it as a direct connection. What I didn't know is that a large part of making that crossover to just communicating with people is building out more content. When you move from news over into just being a, someone who inspires and, you know, uh, provides information that's going to have some type of direct impact on someone, then there's a little bit, you, there's a little, there's a little bit of process in that. There's a little bit of process in that that you yourself have to go to go through if you're going to be that type of vessel. So I went through a period of time where I'm like, okay, what is it that I'm going to talk about? Because I don't want to talk about any of this other stuff. And mm-hmm. I, um, during college, I had the opportunity to work in a real estate brokerage. Um, while working in the real estate brokerage, I had the opportunity to watch what people's money habits. And because by nature, I am a journalist, I am going to uh i am going to approach things from a very investigative approach 
So I was looking at what people bought with their money. I was looking at the type of homes uh, people would buy. I would look at when I would go out as a mentee in the brokerage, I would look at the type of neighborhoods that some people wanted to look, live in and um, what they were willing to do to get into a particular neighborhood. And I would look at, okay, well, you only qualified for maybe about 200000 but you were only interested in a house that was for three fifty. And the type of, you know, the type of jumps that people would make, um, people make uh, purchases not from always from an educational or for a financial um, space. They often make decisions from a very egotistical space, right? Mm -hmm. They're thinking about, they're not thinking about, okay, whether or not if this is an investment or if this purchase that I'm doing is going to propel me further, they don't think, many of them are not thinking about that. They're thinking about their friends and what their friends are going to feel like when they show up to their house. They're thinking Mm -hmm. about, they're thinking about, you know, they're not thinking about an investment. They're not thinking about the fact that, okay, your bank gave you a loan and they pre-approved you for um, $350,000 and you want a mortgage for three fifty. dollars You don't think just because they approve you for three fifty dollars that you have to take the whole $350,000? You don't have to mm-hmm. take the whole amount. You know what I'm saying? Because and then cause here you're only supposed to have 33% of your income to go towards home ownership. These people would lie on their documents and they would have this complex. And I'm sure you know all about it, McKinney. It's called that mm-hmm. beer money with that champagne taste, right? And I would just sit there. <laughs> I would just sit there and I would, you know, be very fascinated by um, their behavior. I'd be very fascinated by their choices. Um, so when I started to look and think, okay, what is it that I can share? What is it that I can offer? Um, that's kind of like where it, where it began. I also spent some time working in a car dealership as well. When I worked in the car dealership, um, after I graduated from school, because I was trying to figure out what am I going to do, because I knew I wasn't going to get on the news and talk about crime. I knew I wasn't going to do that. But I did want to, I, I, the time that I spent at the dealership, it gave me the opportunity to learn more about people's habits. The more I learned more about their habits, I saw very, even though I was in a different, you know, financial market per se, a totally different financial pro, pro, um, product, um, but I saw people tying themselves to debt for very similar reasons in very similar ways. I saw it yet again. I saw people with, you know, credit scores that were just so derogatory, but yet they would be willing to put maybe three, four, five thousand dollars more down just to get into a car. And then I saw those people that had very high credit scores, 680, 750, 850. I saw them come in and tell us, hey, this is how much I'm going to pay for the car. There really wasn't much of a negotiation with those people, those people that had more money, those people that had more education about the process of purchasing a car. They didn't really come in and get, you know, taken through the cleaners. They would come in and they would make the decisions. So mm-hmm. at a very, during that period of time, I had the opportunity to understand that the people that are more educated and put themselves in better, better positions are not the people that are tying themselves to debt. They weren't tying mm-hmm. themselves to debt in the way that those who really didn't have much money was. Don't you think that's precarious? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's funny when you mentioned, you know, people with beer money and champagne taste. So I used to sell mm-hmm. real estate full time for six years. So mm-hmm. I used to have mm-hmm. to deal with a lot of people and they'd come in with a laundry list of their wants but once you get them mm-hmm. pre-approved they couldn't afford half the things on their want list uh-huh. i i always found that interesting and, and you know they would want a four-bedroom house and they would want it over three thousand square feet and this big mm-hmm. backyard and all this stuff meanwhile 
their pre-approval shows that you know they could probably afford a three-bedroom house townhouse at that yeah with, yeah but they had this yeah. huge amount of stuff that they wanted that they couldn't afford even further than them having these high desire because there's nothing wrong with desire because you can grow into desire yes, you can grow course. into that you understand what I'm saying? You can grow into that. It's desire is what fuels us. Desire is what expands us. So we can have that. But it just has to be relegated in such a way that some people, I've seen people when I was in the office, they were like, oh, just forget it. I don't want a house. I'll just keep renting because they can't get the kind of house that they, you know, that they really wanted. They didn't see that, okay, this first property that I can purchase, I can use this as leverage to pur- purchasing my second property. I can use this as a, it, it, I look at a house as an investment tool, not as a status symbol to project myself out in the world. Right. You know, right. oftentimes that's what people are doing. They're using that to project themselves out into the world. Yeah, that's where the damage comes in, right? It's, it's, it's one, it's the, the, the affordability. And why is it that you need to have this big old house? Do you need to have this big house because you have this big family? You know, do, is that why you need it? Or you just need it to subliminally suggest things to the people around you. When it would do you better to have like, you know, just because someone pre, pre-approves you for 250 you know, don't you want to be able to buy Christmas gifts sometimes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to go out to dinner sometimes? <laughs> you know, when you like to get a little drink every now and then, like, come yeah. on, are you going to use all your resources to support this, you know, to support this lifestyle? So I'm okay with desire, but I'm not okay with excessive debt that you really can't afford. And you, it really, some of them ain't got to worry about getting to that problem because some people are not about to give y'all no loan for that house anyway, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of uh, a lot of people that were using the term house poor. They didn't want to be house poor. I had to yes. tell a lot of people, maybe you're not particularly ready to purchase a property. Maybe it's time to well, focus on improving your credit or increasing your down payment. But you mm-hmm. were able to pay off your mortgage before the age of 40. Mm-hmm. So can you share mm-hmm. how you were able to do that? Most things for me started a place of like, okay, how can I be more free? But how can I even be more free so I can really feel my freedom? Okay, got it. All right. So so anyway, I before I got married to my husband, where that hyphenated name came from, Saintville, is um, I had already purchased my first property when I was about 22 years old. I had my own condo. I felt so good about it. And once I got into the house, what's so crazy is that maybe six months into having the mortgage, I lost my job as a banker. Oh, wow. Right? So I'm 22 years old, not really accustomed to having a whole lot of, you know, financial responsibility. But here I am in this mortgage, and then I lose my job. So it was, like, crazy. So um, the house, when I bought it, I bought it in a, you know, in an upmarket. And I bought it for, like, $161,000, one bedroom, one bath. And then not only did I lose my job, so this right, this also happened during the burst, the real estate market burst here. And when that happened, not only did I lose my job, I was in the banking industry. And then once I lost my job as a banker, my property wasn't worth much anyway. Um, it was worth, by the time I got ready to sell, it was worth about $30,000, right? Wow. So that was crazy. So I had to go through the short sale process and all these different things like that. So I'm thinking to myself, how can I be more free? Because I had already experienced that and I didn't want to experience that again. I didn't want to experience um, just all of the financial mayhem that came with losing your job and then having this mortgage, um, exhausting your savings so that you can stay in it. None of that was very fun. Um, I had to take a few different jobs that I didn't like, but I had to pay my mortgage. So when I get with my husband, we're getting ready to get married and we both want to get a house. And my husband had also, before we got married, he had bought a house and he had bought a house way bigger than the house that I bought. He had a mortgage for $250,000, right? 
This mm-hmm. is all of it. So I have one sixty to yeah, two hundred fifty thousand dollars. My house is getting ready to be um short sell um here in here in the United States where they you know basically they take all the equity out and then they you can sh- sell it for the least amount of price and then they um then you make some payments to get rid of the rest of the debt. That's what a short sell here is. Mm-hmm. And then his property, he had a tenant in his property, and they had just they they were not making any payments towards the mortgage at all. Oh, wow. They weren't making any payments towards the mortgage, so his credit was getting shammed all over the place, right? But you find these two people. I love you. I love you. I love you. I want to marry you, but where are we going to live? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. And now I can't take. I, I'll take some credit, and then I'll let my husband take the rest of the credit because he's actually he's actually the genius when it comes to that. So anyway, me, I'm thinking to myself, how I'm just having the thought that how can I be more free? I want to purchase more real estate, but I don't want to purchase it like that. I don't want to go through this again. I really didn't like that. I really didn't like that or whatever. So I would say that I'm the visionary to this freedom. I'm the visionary. I'm the person that's saying, okay, I want to buy more real estate. I like, I like the earnings that comes with um, real estate, but I don't like how, you know, it was so much risk. How can I do this again without so much risk? And those are just my desires at that point. They're just desires because when it came to my credit, there was I, that nobody was going to give me a house with a with a re, because before you go through a short sale, you have to go through a period of, of non-payment where it almost looks like you're going to foreclose on the property. So my mm-hmm. credit had been completely depleted at that point because nobody's going to give you a short sale if you're just, you know, you're, you're continuing to make this payment towards this mortgage. It's not going to happen. Right. And then so and then my husband couldn't get a property because that, they had messed up his credit by not making payments and things like that. And he was also very young, too. I think he might have been maybe 23, maybe 23, too. He, he'd been very young as well. So he hears my desire and all these different things. And so he says, well, I know what we can do. We can purchase another property, but we can purchase the cash, right? And I'm at this point, I'm like 24 years old. I'm like, this man is nuts. Who are you talking about? <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> this is ridiculous. This is crazy. It's ridiculous. He says, well... Why don't we just move in with my parents? I'm like, huh? Because I had been an only child for a whole decade. So you're like, moving with my parents. <laughs> oh, no. I don't like living with nobody. I don't even think I want to really live with you. Can we do this in a way that, like, you come over sometime and I come over sometime, but we're married, but, like, we're not? Like, get you know, but you want to move me in with your parents? Ah, whatever. <laughs> So he says, this is how, my husband is an accountant. He says, this is how much money we can use for this, and it'll be just for a short amount of time. So at that point, I secured another job. I was working, um, I was doing marketing for a company. I had secured a corporate job. So I had a pretty decent salary at that point. So he said, what we'll do is we'll move into, um, we'll move into my parents' house. We'll just save our salary over the next two years, and then we'll buy a house. So I said, okay, fine, that's what we'll do. And the good thing is I didn't have like a car payment at the time either. So I was young and I, I, I virtually had no debt. So that was a part of it. We were able to see our sacrifice just by making those weekly deposits, putting the money in. The second part of the story that came to, um, the second part of the story that came in is that we got a non-traditional mortgage. Um, oftentimes when people are looking for mortgages, they're always looking for what's on the general market. Number one, they always think, okay, I'm going to get a 30-year mortgage. They forget that a 15-year mortgage is also an option. What we secured was a hard money loan. Um, the, so that's another, that's another way to go about it. Now, hard money loans are extremely risky, but moving in with my in-laws was also extremely risky. <laughs> Buying a house when I was 22 years old was extremely risky, right? Um, but these risks just fell well. That, that, yeah, these risks so far, they have fell well. So anyway, 
Um, we get the hard money loan. The interest rate on a hard money loan is about 22%, which is ridiculous because here uh, in the States right now, you can get a mortgage for about 5.25%. So if you're listening to the story and you're seeing where it is that you can kind of resonate with the story is that, okay, I don't, if I'm looking for a piece of property, number one, I'm not going to look for that property in such a way for it to be a status symbol. I'm going to look at it for an investment. Number two, when I go out looking for a mortgage, I'm not just going to look for a traditional mortgage. I'm not going to assume that that is the only thing available. I'm going to do some different research and see other ways for me to um, gain access to other people's money so that I can use it as a viable investment. So we got this really high interest rate. And what we did was both of us, we dumped our salaries into paying the property off. So I didn't have a big wedding, right? So no, there was no wedding. There was no big, there was no heavy wedding or anything like that. All of those resources went to our home. We took our salaries for two years and we just dumped it into the property. Here's another key part of it. Um, this, I don't know how this will translate over into you guys' market, but when I purchased this property, when we purchased this property, we, we purchased it during our very down market. So mm-hmm. the house that we got was a steal. So that's another thing for people that are trying to figure out, okay, people are always telling me to save money, save money, save money. And oftentimes when people are promoting save money, people can't really figure out why they should be saving the money, right? They're like, okay, why why am I saving this money? Like, for what? Like, I, I want to mm-hmm. go on vacation. Why am I saving it? They can't really make it. So if you're thinking about, okay, why would I want to cut down on my budget? Why would I not want to eat out as much? Why would I going to skip out on this shopping trip with my friends? Why am I going to pass some of that? stuff off. Well, one of the ways to do it is that you can skim down on some of that stuff so that you can position yourself. If you look at your money as a way to position yourself, you may treat it a little bit different. So in this event, when when you have a down market, you're you have you have cash to buy into that market with, right? When the when the real estate market drops, if you don't have all your money tied up, you know, in your hair and your nails and your face and your feet, you know, you don't have it tied <laughs> up, you can, you, you, can, you can use it in a way to kind of le- you know leverage yourself. So that that is essentially what it is that that we did. So the property that I bought, like just for the numerics and the mathematics of it, the property was eighty thousand dollars, right? So we didn't go out and buy in the best. Well, it's not. The, it's a really nice, pretty decent neighborhood. It's not the, the high echelon neighborhood of, of Miamians, but it, it, it's a pretty decent um, because of the time that we bought it. Like now, the property is now worth less than eight years later. The property is now worth two hundred eighty thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. That's two hundred percent appreciation. Uh, so that's how we did it. Awesome. Okay. Mm. What What are our three things that you think every woman should do to get her finances in order? Uh, number one, she should download the Mint.com app. That's the first thing she should do. Mm-hmm. Download Mint.com app so that she can see where that money is being allocated. Where is it going? Mint.com. Mint.com. It's a free app. Yeah, Mint. Like peppermint. It's just Mint.com. So okay. you'll go to mint.com, you'll download that onto your phone, and then you will figure out where your resources are being allocated. Because you can't tell your, if you don't know where your money is going, you can't tell your money where to go. Right. Um, if you're not really a techie person, then you may want to just simply look, sit down, write down your income, and then you want to write down your expenses. And then you want to see whether or not if you have any money left over to save. You need to do that. Income versus your expenses. I do that for my clients all the time. Income versus expenses. And if when we finish doing a deduction between your income and your expenses and you only have $200 left over, then we need to do one or two things. We need to either decrease 
the amount of money that you're spending and increase the amount of money that you're making. And we can either increase the amount of money that you're making by getting a new job, starting a business, um, deciding to get a side hustle, working part time. Question for you. I mean, as a finance expert, I know you would have the better answer to this question. Do you believe or agree with the pay yourself first philosophy versus, you know, your income versus expenses? Okay, so me, for me and how it is that I live, yes. For me and how I live, I don't have a mortgage. I don't have a car payment. So therefore, when the money comes in, I can go ahead and take my 33% off. Those of you that are taking notes, that is how much you should be saving. You should be saving 33% of your income. If you have some financial goals, vacations, business funding, any of those things, you need to open up an account for each of those things and be saving 33% towards each of those goals, okay? However, when it comes to pay yourself first, right? Let's say I actually had a mortgage, right? And I get paid and then depending on how I'm living, right? So I'm I'm very subjective in, in what it is that I'm sharing. So you, if you have your mortgage payment and let's say you already took $200 off, to, that's your savings. That's what you're going to pay yourself first. But you're short on your mortgage. Mm-hmm. And you're saying your goal is to pay yourself first. Totally no. Mm-hmm. No. You don't need okay. to pay yourself first. You need to pay those people first. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because if not, <laughs> if not, you're going to lessen your credit score and you're going to create more risk for yourself. So it really depends on where you are in the story. Now, I'm going to go with predominantly. That's not where most people are. Most people are not where a place where if they need to you know, crunch off $200 or $300, um, it's not going to kill them. It's not going to kill them. It's not going to make them late on anything. So my answer is, if you can pay yourself first, and it's not going to make you late on anything that's going to have an impact on your credit score, then yes, pay yourself first. Pay yourself first, for sure. Okay. So my next question is not directly finance related. But um, have you had any major uh, adversities that you've had to overcome to get to where you are today? Yeah, I think I shared a few of them. Um, initially, the the one directly related to where um, I bought a house at 22, thought I was hot stuff, yep. and then lost yep. my job. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that, yep. <laughs> that was right up there with adversity. Um, but I didn't really know adversity until I had my children. I really didn't. That, those were like... Um, soft scratches, but those are, that was my introduction to adversity. Um, I think once I actually got married and I had my children, my boys are 19 months apart. Mm-hmm. Um, we had moved into this property, but we, we, um, we had not finished paying it off as of yet. I was I breastfed my first son for 19 months and my second son for oh, wow. 24 months. It was really beautiful being able to pay off the mortgage, but the children came during the period of time in which we were paying off the mortgage, um, and I that was probably most difficult for me trying to really figure out how I was going to show up in the world as well as how I was going to show up for my family and what that was going to look like. That is the part that really helped me become 
um, who I am. That is when I got less dreamy about, oh, yeah, I need to be, I want to be like Oprah Winfrey. I think that's when, the, I think I was maybe like maybe 25, 26. That, that really started to go down the drain. Like I really, and now as more, the older I've gotten, I really don't want to be like Oprah Winfrey anymore, even though that was a part of my initial inspiration to get me going. Because when you're a child, um, you'll idolize somebody from not really knowing the depth of who they are, what their story means. And really at that point, you don't really understand what your story offers to the world. So our stories may never become as big as Oprah's, but they're no less impactful. Right. You know, they're right. no less impactful. They're no less um, poignant. Um, so it, it really doesn't matter. So I'm not after that for sure. That's, that's not important to me in that way that like I have this massive impact. Um, I'm very strategic about um, how I allocate my time um, on the earth, you know, because I do realize that I'm not going to be um, on the planet for my entire life. You know, I mean, I'm going to be here for my entire life, but I'm not going to be here forever. I'm sorry. Right. I'm not going to be here forever. So um, I, I do the best I can to figure out, okay, how with this time that I have, whether it's 80 years, whether it's 90 years, maybe it's 115 years, based on the average amount of time that people get to occupy this earth space. Mm-hmm. All right, how are we going to do this in such a way that no one really feels jilted? Because again, I go through this transformation of trying to understand that here I am, I have this possibility of time, and, and nobody knows that that time can get cut, you know, short, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean that's just the average living. You don't know if you're going to tap out on 110 or 90 or 70 or 60 or 50 or 40, you have no idea. So I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this with these two human beings? And then I have a third human being that also would like for me to show up a certain kind of way. And my children want me to show up a certain kind of way. And then I have this pressure on how I'm going to show up a certain kind of way. That was very hard for me of trying to allocate and disperse myself in a way that no one felt cheated while I was creating this this balance so that none of the people um, that was occupying the most sacred parts of my life did not feel cheated. I also didn't want to cheat myself. And sometimes I felt cheated uh, with myself. I felt like I was giving over too much to them and there was Mm -hmm. not enough for Shawnee. There was no space for Shawnee to give to herself. There was no space for Shawnee to give to her other family. There was no space for Shawnee to give to her friends. There was no space for Shawnee to build her business. You guys are everywhere. Like, you're everywhere. You're everywhere. You're everywhere, right? And that's a whole (laughs) lot for a person who grew up (laughs) who grew up as as the only child for 10 years. Yeah, it's like a whole, where did all these people come from? Oh my God, right? (laughs) And I'm trying to figure out. (laughs) And they came in, it's like they came from you. They came out of you. Oh, great. I did this. Oh, I did this. That that is when I had the opportunity to become more um, compassionate, um, where I became more loving, where I learned about time management, where I learned about the finances of running a family, um, what it was like to sometimes, because I had been very good at making financial decisions from a very analytical position, but now I am forced to make uh, decisions from a very emotional position as it relates to teaching my children about money, but also not wanting them to feel deprived. So Mm -hmm. those are lessons that I had to undergo. Um, I went through the place of also while we were paying off the house, also went through a part of building my business when my business wasn't very profitable. Um, Also at a time, so it's one thing when you are a very new entrepreneur and most of your resources are going to paying off this house, there's really not a whole lot of resources left over. 
you know. Right. There's not a whole lot. If you're just starting out, um, your profitability is not really that high. People don't really know, like, and trust you for what it is that you're saying that you have the capacity to do. So you have to wait for some of that stuff to catch up. And right in the middle of that is you, uh, the financial, uh, other financial goals that you have, these children, and then this person that you agree to share your life with. So you have to, you have to be able to get the chemistry of that to work for you. You mentioned creating balance. So I guess my, my next question is, would be a two-part question because I, I had a woman on the show recently and, you know, she's in the journalist space. She's a wife. She's a, a mother to two children. You know, mm-hmm. we wear all these hats. So the first part mm-hmm. of the question is, do you believe in balance, you know, as a mom, a wife, a career woman, yeah. you know, yeah, I all believe, of that? Yeah, I yeah, the, 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 the planet has balance, the universe has balance, and we don't always recognize that things are in balance, but if you go to the beach, right, you'll, you'll go and you'll see that there's a whole body of water, and then there's sand, right, and that sand is creating a boundary between how much of that water is going to come into the mainland, right, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's balance, right, we go through seasons, right, we have winter, we have spring, we have fall, we also have balance in our days, right? We have light, we have dark, we have all this different balance, right? And I myself have to um, go into the world um, sharing that type of balance as well. So all of me cannot be allocated towards my children sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Because sometimes it rains. Mm-hmm. So sometimes that's what the earth needs. Yep. Okay, yep. fine. So that's where I am. You understand? And then sometimes, you know, it's super sunny outside, right? So at that time, that's what the earth needs. So the balance for me is just being flexible when those needs arise, when those demands change. And I can feel it when I'm too far left, right? Mm-hmm. When I'm too far in my own head. And, I'm, and I can feel the imbalance, right? I can feel the imbalance. My children will say something. My husband will say something. Now, these children, they're liars, okay? They're liars. They will lie on you <laughs> and to you. They will lie. They will lie. My children will mm-hmm. lie. So my children, they say, uh, they say, Mommy, you haven't spent time with me. And, and I know when they're lying and I know when they're telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Right. They'll say, oh, you you ever ever since you've been on the news, we never get to see you. I am on the news one day a week. You stop those lies right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's children's Can <laughs> you, yeah, you stop those lies right now? I'm not going to hear another lie from your mouth right now. But it just means that they want more. You understand? Like whatever yeah. it is. That, and sometimes you're, you're yeah, they want more. And, and when you're in the position to give more, give more. But so, when you're in the position where you can't, then then you don't. Right. So that brings me to the yeah. second part of the question, because like you you know, mm-hmm. the, the kids will want more of you. The husband will want more of you. Sometimes maybe yeah. your job will want more of you. So what is your self-care mm-hmm. routine? How do you take care of Shawnee? So first of all, I respect the internal balance. So I'm not going to put more on myself than I really can. You know, I, I, I can't be all these things to everybody and nothing to myself because there's times when I've been everything to everybody and nothing to myself. And I didn't like it. I didn't like my body because I wasn't working out. You know, I wasn't very happy with my physical appearance. I was just completely out of balance. I didn't like my, the way my bank account looked. I have to figure out, right? So then I don't want to look in my account. And then there's an abundance of money, but nobody likes me, right? I don't want mm-hmm. that. No, he likes me because I'm so self-centered and I'm just thinking only about myself and I never have time for them and I'm missing everything. I'm missing every practice, every this, every that. I'm not here for any moments, right? So then that's a little bit too much. But there needs to be a fine balance between mommy likes the amount of money that she looks at her account and she feels good about it and you get to see mommy show up to your practices and you go, oh my God, that's my mom. She's on TV. 
everybody's happy, right? Everybody's happy. And that's that's my self-care regimen. I move when I have to move. I make adjustments when I have to make adjustments. And I don't let these people guilt me into things. Right. Because this is the money I have to retire from. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I have to be in retirement. I also have to use the same money to send you to college. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. That, 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 you know? That, so I have to do all of You don't have mm-hmm. the intellect that I have. You, you know, you haven't occupied the planet as long as I have. So you don't understand what it is that I'm talking about. So I do the best that I can to understand, you know, to explain you. My kids, my boys are six and eight. They will say, mm-hmm. okay, well, can you please put this on your calendar? So they, they have grown to get respect for what it is that I do. They right. don't, they can't just, you know, they, they have to respect it because I make it respected. I don't allow them to guilt me because I am a good mother. You know, right. I know that I'm a good mother to them. So I don't let them guilt me into things if I need to travel. I will be back. I love you. I'll see you when I come back. But I know that my, my self-care regimen is that balance. So sometimes right. am I getting the feed and the nails done sometimes, right? Sometimes I am. Sometimes I'm getting the massage and some of that stuff. Um, but the biggest self-care thing for me is going to be, uh, number one, making sure that I respect that balance when I feel that, Shawnee, you're a little too far over there, you haven't seen your children, you haven't cooked in about two to three days, you haven't even sat at the dinner table one time, I think you're a little far over. And then sometimes mm-hmm. my husband will plan a vacation, and then he'll try to plan like vacations back to back. The other day mm-hmm. he asked me, he said, I'm going to do one this week. I said, and, and what's going to happen to my business while you do all of that? I'd like to know. You know, I'd like to know. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm going to be gone for two whole weeks? <laughs> like, no, I can't do that. Maybe you like to do that. I'm not going to do that. No, thank you. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, we just want to relax. Ah, no, 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 thank you. No. You, yeah, you have to form these new agreements with people. You have to get them to respect the value that you offer to the world. You have to get them to respect, you know, all these different ways that you show up and don't, and don't feel guilty about it. When you're present, be very present. Put your phone down. Turn your phone off. Don't be at, don't be at dinner looking at your social media. When you're mm-hmm. with people, be with them fully, entirely. Yes, be present. So that when you're yes. not, be present. That is the biggest way. Like, if you're there, put your phone down. If you're going to be out with your friends, let your family know, hey, I'm going to be out with my friend. You might not find me so much on my phone. If it's an emergency, here is her number. And then when I'm with, when I'm with my family, when they come home, I'm not on my phone. I'm not doing this, not doing that. I'm very present. So when I'm gone, I'm gone. And when I'm here, I'm here. Here I am. Yes. The other thing is therapy. That would be my other self-care regimen. A <laughs> lot of people need therapy. Yeah, <laughs> they need I agree. Ther- yeah. Yeah, they need therapy, right? And and I yes. spent maybe two years in therapy. And that's why I'm I'm much lighter. I'm not as rigid. I'm not as resentful. I'm not as mean because it took me some time to process some of that information. And some people that go to sometimes oftentimes people come to me with their money issues and I send them back to a therapist first because sometimes their money issues aren't really money issues, they're emotional issues. The way that they yes. relate to money has a lot to do with how they're relating to the world, how they're relating to people. They continue to buy things that they cannot afford to impress people that they do not like so they need yep. to go to therapy maybe they don't like their mother and maybe they don't like their father their sister or their cousin it doesn't matter they need to go to therapy tell somebody about it and then come back and manage your money <laughs> <laughs> so so i read this article that says that your favorite shoe says a lot about your personality my question to you shawnee is what is your favorite type of shoe is it a high heel I, boot is it a stiletto uh-huh. a running shoe a flip-flop what is your favorite type of shoe 
I don't have a favorite type of shoe. I have a goal with the flow. You know what I'm saying? It's like how I feel right now. I'm barefoot. I don't have on any shoes um, because I've been home on the last part of my day. But when I woke up this morning, I put on these strappy sandals that had uh, is a, a, a leopard pattern on them. I have some nude pumps that I was at some point supposed to transition out of my sandals into my nude pumps, but I really wasn't feeling so pumpy today. So Mm -hmm. my thing would be go with how you feel. You know, sometimes I'm on a stage and I can be be presenting and I'm standing up there and I picked up some really great shoes, probably, probably because the way how I dress is very simple. So oftentimes I will offset it with uh, some type of print, like a leopard print or something like that. I'm, that's something that I probably do. But sometimes when I'm on the stage and I'm talking, sometimes I have to take my shoes off because I need to feel the ground <laughs> and I don't need to be hurting my feet up there to try to impress you. I need to do a few things. So my mm-hmm. answer would be be flexible, move around, don't don't corner yourself, let it move through you. This life that we have, we only got one, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So don't okay. waste your okay. time to impress people. Impress yourself. Do you... <laughs> do you have a, a shoe that you find that you wear most often? Like, are you more comfortable in flat shoes or no, man, prefer... I'm more comfortable in me. I'm more comfortable just switching it up. You know, okay. I'm so that's what I'm comfortable with. Like, and then this morning when I woke up before I put on those strappy little sandals, I had on some tennis shoes because I was working out. So I'm going to support myself. I'm going to support myself in my needs and what's being required. So there's no favorites. So before we go to the final segment of the show, tell people where they can stay connected with you online. All things Purse Empowerment. You can go to my website and find me on Purse Empowerment. Anything, any social media, you can find me on Purse Empowerment. Okay, perfect, perfect. And I'll have the link underneath the episode so they can just click and directly go straight to your website and your social media. Okay. So the final segment, I like to call it a walk in her stilettos. It's just a couple of reflection questions where you just share some inspiration from your walk. But for the interest of time, I am going to just pick one. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? It would say you're better than you think. The billboard would say you're better than you think. Love it. Any particular reason? Because we are. We are better than we think. Love it. Love it. Better than we think. Mm Mm-hmm. I totally agree. So I want to thank you, Shani, for taking the time to join us and to share your gems with us. I truly appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. I thank you for having me. This has been so wonderful. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you once again to all of our listeners. Until next time, download the Awaka My Stilettos app and subscribe to our newsletter at awakamystilettos.com. Let us know what you thought of the episode. What did you think about what Shani had to say? Leave us a review. We'd love your feedback and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling.